from the studios of Clean Fuels Alliance America, this is the Better, Cleaner, Now podcast. Authentic conversations with leaders in the biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel industries. Now, here's your host, Scott Tremaine. And welcome. Today, Clean Fuels Chief Operating Officer Doug Whitehead and Director of Public Affairs and Federal Communications Paul Winters are joined by Nebraska Farmer and Clean Fuels Governing Board member Greg Anderson. All right. Thank you, Scott. I am excited to have two colleagues with me today to discuss soybeans, feedstock innovation, and new opportunities within our clean fuels space. Welcome and hello, Greg and Paul. Afternoon, Doug. Hey, good to hear your voice. I tell you, I'm excited about what we're going to have to share today. Well, I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. And for those of you that don't know how great Greg and Paul are, please simply Google them and or check out our website, cleanfuels.org, for more information. However, you probably know Greg as he served in so many leadership and ag business capacities over many years. And Greg, I, I won't say decades because we're too young to say decades. But <laughs> That's right. That's right. Greg has served in great capacity at the Nebraska Soybean Board uh, in leadership with the National Biodiesel Board, currently on our governing board at Clean Fuels Alliance America, and in 2004 and 2005 was the United States Soybean Board Chair. Greg is a governance subject matter expert, and we are very lucky to have him uh, playing those roles for us. But maybe the most important role is he's also a subject matter expert at family farming over 141 years in Newman Grove, Nebraska. Greg is an accomplished row crop farmer, cattle farmer, and he even has a soy-based sin lawn yard. That's right, Doug. (laughs) You know, we had a cold, cold January and lots of snow as well, but my my lawn stayed green all winter long because of that. So, uh, you know, it, I don't need to mow it. I don't need to fertilize it. I just look out when the snow is melted and see green grass. So that's, that's a pleasure about this in lawn. Hey, you know, on that, uh, family farm, I know lots of generational farms across the country and, uh, we just, uh, are blessed to live that heritage. But last year we, we celebrated our 150th year, wow. uh, of the farm being in the same family. And uh, homesteaded by my great great grandpa back in 1873. You know, you think about that, Doug. Uh, all the challenges and all the changes that have gone on, and and here just before the industrial revolution, really. I mean, people uh, didn't have diesel engines until the early 1900s, and the farm goes back way before then. But growing feedstocks for you know to feed the world, but also to uh, now fuel the world is pretty exciting. That is very exciting, and as a PSA. Uh, my Google box said 141 years, so I'm glad you corrected me that it's over 150 and <laughs> lots to be proud of there. Paul Winters. Paul is in our D.C. office and serves as our Director of Public Affairs and Federal Communications. Paul is one of the smartest people in our industry on the RFS, tax code, trade, politics, and more. He earned his bachelor's degree from UCLA and a master's degree at the University of Cal Davis in political science and international relations. We are also very lucky to have Paul working for us in D.C. Welcome, Paul. Well, thanks, Doug. And uh, 
yeah, I've been in DC since about 2000. Uh, came here originally to work for C-SPAN and around their uh, election coverage for the 2000 election. And I've been in renewable fuels for about 20 years now. Wow. Uh, prior to this, I was with the uh, biotechnology industry organization, which uh, helped new companies commercialize uh, advanced biofuels. Uh, most of them were aiming for cellulosic, but uh, what came out of all that research was um, a lot of other products. So. Wow. Outstanding. Thank you. Well, let's, uh, let's get to work a little bit. Uh, tomorrow, we're in Houston, Texas, at America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused agricultural and educational experience, Commodity Classic. Greg, Paul, uh, we'll get to our educational session next, but I want to make sure our audience knows a bit about Commodity Classic. So, Greg, can you share a little bit with us about your experience over the years you've been to Commodity? Sure, Doug. You know, Commodity Classic is really the Super Bowl of all ag events and ag educational events, as well as just a trade show that is just unprecedented. You know, you think of the big farm shows like Husker Harvest Days here in Nebraska. You think of farm progress that happens every year. Those outdoor shows are, are great. But when you think about Commodity Classic, it's really the combination of soybean, corn, wheat, sorghum producers getting together along with equipment manufacturers for one big week of updates, education, uh, business, trade, things going on. Every manufacturer of farm equipment is there. Uh, this is a trade show that's going to be unprecedented. I understand, you know, we're, we're here this, this week in Houston and that's trade show as we've had a chance to examine it, is just awesome. I mean, two, two levels, which have never been before. Uh, it's bigger and better than ever. So it truly is a Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it's, it's the place to be this week. And uh, people who have been polled on their classic experience say, what do you come to classic for? And, you know, there's always a, the answers networking and seeing friends and hearing uh, updates of machinery, things like that, commodity uh Experts are here to give their forecasts and so forth. But the number one reason that people attend Commodity Classic is for these educational sessions, of which we are pleased to present one. And I think it's one of the best ones on the docket. So uh, with that, speaking from Commodity Classic experience, hey, I've been to every one of them. Can you believe that? <laughs> it started in 1996 when we pooled the corn and soy together. And it's just grown since then. And I just can't get away. I, I've got to attend, I think, for like the 29th year in a row. Wow. So there's probably not a whole lot of us out there that have, you know, attended every year. Probably the numbers get smaller of that every year. But I am just uh, really pumped to be, to be here this week and uh, to take part in this. Well, I love your reference to the Super Bowl. And so it's my time to say, how about them Chiefs? <laughs> yes. We'll go for three-peat next year. <laughs> they probably will do it, too. Paul, after hearing that, I don't think we need to count how many we've been to because it certainly does not add up to uh, Greg's attendance. Um, you know, my experience there is a little bit like you said, Greg. It's it's uh, such an awesome, huge expo hall to see all facets of agriculture. The Ag Leadership Caucus meetings are a wonderful way to share information and coordinate on message and of course, just the simple business networking 
So this year, like you said, is, is Clean Fuel's first time presenting in a breakout educational session, and we're going to pack a lot into it. So our session is coordinating demand for new fuels and opportunities for new crops. And of course, I, I am proud to thank, and, I'm, and I mean it sincerely, want to thank the Soybean Checkoff Partners for supporting this program and the list is long. I mean, basically every soybean producing state and the United Soybean Board supports Clean Fuels Alliance America in this effort. I want to thank Paul for coordinating all of this and ask him if he'd introduce the remainder of our panel and kind of explain maybe where uh, this panel is going and, and what you hope Greg and I and the panel can get through to the audience. Paul. Yeah, great. Uh, so, Greg mentioned that uh, farmers rank the education opportunities as the number one reason to attend Commodity Classic. And I was glad that uh, the organizers of the Commodity Classic and, and the farmers indicated that biofuels and new biofuels like sustainable aviation were kind of at the top of the, thing, at the list of the things they wanted to hear about in these education sessions. So uh, we did organize this panel. The primary goal of the panel is to look back at the lessons we've learned through efforts to coordinate market expansion of biodiesel and renewable diesel with growth in the supply of feedstock, and which has primarily been soybean oil, and then to look at uh, what we need to do to coordinate growth with new crops like winter annuals. So this gets to our vision that we set in 2020. We established this goal of producing 6 billion gallons of biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel here in the United States on an annual basis by the end of the decade. And we're ahead of schedule in getting to that vision. But it, it takes coordination. So we are going to have Greg, uh, we're going to have Courtney Lawrenson from AGP, who is also a member of our board, and their goal is to uh, sort of review the lessons we've learned from, from coordinating growth with the soybean industry. And then we'll have Mike DeCamp from Covercress and Scott Hedrick from Newseed begin a conversation with farmers about how we can coordinate growth of new winter annuals. In Newseed's case, it's uh, Carinata. And Covercress is, of course, their hybrid pennycress crop. They both are looking to partner with farmers, uh, each of them across multiple states in the coming year to, to launch these products and to sort of uh, take lessons from the farmers who, part who partner with them and uh, see what it takes to get to harvest and get this crop, both of these crops commercialized. So uh, we hope it is the beginning of a conversation and uh, we're looking forward to the questions that farmers ask us because it'll be an opportunity to learn what's on their minds. This is the Better Cleaner Now podcast. Fascinating ideas and conversations in the world of biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel. Hello, I'm Doug Whitehead with Clean Fuels Alliance America, and I'm very happy and proud to be here today with Greg Anderson and Paul Winters. Thank you all for being here. And, and uh, Paul, that was a great summary of what we're doing with the educational uh, session. And Greg, as you know, Clean Fuels Alliance America 
formerly the National Soy Diesel Development Board, formerly the National Biodiesel Board, was founded by soybean farmers, and they directed us to find a profitable home for the fourth bucket of value from our mighty soybean. Farmers directed clean fuels to be their subject matter experts and build an industry from a concept to an integrated diesel fuel replacement. So, Greg, how important is it for us to stay connected and coordinated as we continue to grow opportunities for clean fuels members? And what has it meant to you to watch it all happen? Oh, wow. That's a great question, Doug. You know, as I think back over the last three decades, the biodiesel industry's growth has really enabled the soybean market's growth. I I came to Nebraska Soybean Board way back in 1993, and we had roughly two and a half million acres of soybeans in our state that year. I don't recall exactly what the uh, nationwide uh, number was, but it was under 60 million acres. And you know, now we're, we're exceeding that. We've almost doubled that or more than doubled that in Nebraska with over 5 million acres per year. It's gone to be a very, very important cash crop. And with soybean oil, still roughly half of the feedstock for the 4 billion gallons of biodiesel and renewable diesel produced in the U.S. in 2023. This is this is vital to keep connected and to, to understand the, the uh, value that the biodiesel and renewable diesel fuels and the future SAF, and that's even being produced now as well, SAF, has to the agriculture industry. So we're using soybean oil and other agricultural feedstocks, um, basically your vegetable uh, fats and oils, animal fats and vegetable oils that would be looked upon as waste products, really. And we're, we're showing that they're now increasing in value. And that value comes back to the farm gate in lots and lots of ways. And so for me to see, wow, you know, thinking back in the back in the early 90s, virtually no biodiesel production, what we probably made was what we used to test the engines and things like that. So it was really not much. And now over 4 billion gallons a year, we're, we're not a niche fuel, we're a mainstream fuel. This is This is really exciting. And the thing that it's brought back, as you mentioned, Doug, the soybean checkoff has virtually established the biodiesel industry in the United States. It's it's important to keep that connection because soybeans are going to continue to be providing roughly half of that feedstock for for a long, long time to come. So uh, now with the developments of of other agricultural feedstocks, as you mentioned, as Paul mentioned, that it's going to be on our panel this week. Wow, that that opens up a whole new window of opportunity. Great. Well said. So, Paul, back to the title, Coordinating Demand for New Fuels and Opportunities for New Crops. We're going to talk about cover crops. We're going to talk about current crop rotations. What do you what do you hope comes out of the discussion on stage? And what do we want to pull out of these folks tomorrow? Yeah, we so we uh, had a preview of this topic at our recent conference in Fort Worth. New Seed and and uh, Covercrest spoke on a panel, and the questions that we got were very very practical. They uh, were from farmers wondering what kind of equipment do you need to to harvest this these new crops? What kind of uh, uh, changes to your you know inputs do you need? Uh, your what kind of weed management and pest management and fertilizer strategies do you need? So very practical considerations from farmers. So, you know, these uh, crops have been in development for a, a decade or more, I think, and uh, 
they're starting to roll out into the market. I think the hope is that uh, these companies will be able to convince farmers to adopt them as winter cover in between other crops, in between the corn-soy rotation or in between a, a corn-corn rotation. But they would be harvested by spring and the ground would be ready for the next crop as well. So these trials are going out in about six states across the south and then eight additional states in the Midwest. There are other crops that are being rolled out like uh, winter canola. And there are other crops in development for other parts of the country. So essentially, this could be uh, the start of uh, growth of a brand new part of our industry. We knew it would be necessary, right? When we laid out our vision in 2020 to reach 6 billion gallons, uh, we knew that soy would be able to continue to meet a large part of that demand, but we would need a whole lot of other types of oils and sources uh, to meet that that large demand. Um, the demand is, is growing. Production capacity for renewable diesel and biodiesel are, are up above 5 billion gallons already, even though production is still at 4 billion. Uh, we expect more capacity to come online this year. So we're going to reach our vision. That's great. And uh, we should be confident in reaching that vision. And uh, we do, we know that there's this need and there and a market for these new crops. That's terrific. And the bottom line is we need more oil. And I'm, I'm very proud uh, to be son-in-law uh, of a family farmer, farming operation. And he is an excellent farmer and he does three things, corn, soybean, and wheat. So he, he doesn't serve in leadership capacities for USB or uh, Clean Fuels Alliance America or others. Greg, you do, and you're the same type of row crop farmer. So what does it take for you to introduce a new cover crop or new crop or put something into the rotation in terms of planting, harvesting, marketing, et cetera? Yeah, that's great. Doug, you know, and, and your father-in-law is a leader, no doubt about it, because he's growing <laughs> he's growing crops to feed and fuel the world. Yeah, cover crops are are intriguing to me, and actually I'm I'm using them in a limited way. I've just started really recently. So for me, uh, I use triticale, or as some people pronounce it, depending on what part of the country you're in, triticale. And what that is is a, a wheat, rye type of, of, of a grass that is sown in the fall. And so I took an early group uh, soybean, uh, harvested it early, drilled triticale right into the uh, ground, no till. Uh, got a nice rain. It grew up about four inches, looks like a football field. What I'll do <laughs> this spring is to windrow that, put it up for hay, and then come back in and, and put beans behind it. So I'm, I'm really uh, developing that, using that for cattle feed as we've had some drought here in Nebraska, and I'm, I'm always cognizant of making sure that I have enough uh, feed to, you know, for my cows. What cover crops can do, and I, th I think back, you know, we're talking about uh, pennycress as a real vital need for uh, oil. And, and pennycress, uh, I used to be one of my nemesis. Uh, that was a weed that I didn't want, and it grows very well, and it, it's so hardy, and it's there in the spring, and, and I would see that coming. It would be a competition. But now we have the opportunity of actually using that weed, uh, harvesting its oil content, and, and putting that into biodiesel and renewable diesel as a cash crop. And 
and being able to still plant corn or soybeans that year. So, you know, this, this opens up not only a, a vital need for our feedstock, but it, it keeps ensured that we can still grow the same amount of soybeans and corn across the country. We're not robbing acres. We're, we're actually making more use of those acres in a, in a more wise way. And uh, the farmer gets the benefits of that. So I'm, I'm really excited about cover crops. I think they have a tremendous uh, boost to the soil health. And, and farmers are all about the health of their soils. We want to make sure that they have that organic matter, that uh, nutrients that they need to feed the, the crop. And for the next generations that follow, we want to leave the land better than we found it. So, yeah, this this is uh, some pretty cutting edge. As Paul said, you know, these crops are are just new to the marketplace, a lot of these uh, cover crops in the last 10 years or so. And we'll learn more about it at our sessions uh, this this week at Classic. Wow. Hearing that just inspires me to work harder for you all. That's what, such a great story. I love the story of innovation, of commitment, of passion, of agriculture, hearing you talk about preserving the ground, sustainability goes into that, et cetera. But it, it was all launched uh, by the power of the soybean. It was launched by the power of leaders like you that uh, came before you or and will come after you that care about agriculture. And as a trade association, we have to also look for ways to expand. We've We've been in on the on-road market, heavy distillate fuel market for a long time, and and that's growing, and we hope it still grows. But we also had to look for other opportunities coast to coast. And Paul, you may touch on you know our efforts with the new markets and what that means, and um, what we're doing, and 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 how this uh, feedstock innovation will play into that. Yeah, absolutely. So this industry is about thirty years old, and you can hear stories from the original participants about going around trying to convince people to use biodiesel. Uh, now we have markets coming to us and asking where they can get it, how they can build a supply. So uh, there are ready markets in railroads, marine use. Certainly the, the aviation industry is looking for a sustainable fuel uh, because they ha- really don't see any other prospect on the horizon for meeting climate goals. And then, uh, you know, the trucking industry is becoming a, a proponent of, of using these fuels. Engine manufacturers are are looking at upgrading equipment and certifying it to, to use 100% renewable fuels, biodiesel or renewable diesel. You have states uh, leading the charge with low carbon fuel programs, uh, New Mexico being the, the latest example, adopting a clean fuel standard. So demand for the fuel is growing. And, you know, uh, we're hoping to that it, there are opportunities all around the country, including bioheat in the Northeast. That's been a, a real focus for Nebraska for a long, long time. And, you know, uh, we're trying to match that demand with supply and sustainable feedstocks to to fuel it. So there is a lot of excitement. Um, I think there's a lot of practical issues in ramping up these new uh, cover crops, convincing farmers to plant them, harvest them, and make the most of the market opportunity. So I think there's a lot to learn from our efforts over the past 20, 30 years with the soybean industry partnership. So well said, Paul. And I, it, again, 
just makes me love my job when I hear people are coming to us asking for the fuel versus 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when if somebody used our fuel and they got a flat tire, it was the fuel's fault. (laughs) Um, We have proven time and time again through ASTM standards, through uh, market share, having reached over 4 billion gallons of biomass-based diesel use in 2023. And like Paul said, we're going to reach our vision without a problem. So uh, knowing that we are the lowest cost option to decarbonize today, I love it that companies are not wanting to greenwash. They are wanting to actually do something good for the environment, for local jobs in the Midwest, and uh, to just innovate, innovate, innovate. So before we close, I, I would love to ask Greg just finally what your 2024 um, planting rotation is. What, what, what are your plans for the field this year? Yeah, Doug. So I'm a little bit different than most corn soy rotations. I'm actually 100% continuous soybeans, although I'll have just a few acres of corn this year. And then I have alfalfa and grass hay for, for, for cattle, pastures, and that type of thing. Wow. But uh, continuous beans um, is probably a little bit unusual, but it can be done. Uh, I've proven it. I've done it for 30 years or more basically my whole farming career. So it's a, it's a matter of soil health, making sure that uh, all those nutrients are there in place to feed that crop and then uh, getting the rain at the prop, pro- proper time and, and uh, producing that uh, soybean that can do so many different things. So looking forward to, you know, hey, we're, we're here uh, just uh, ready to tiptoe right into March tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow is our, our session, but uh, March 1st is, is Friday already. So we're we're uh, on the verge of planting in April. So we're, we're only, you know, less than 60 days out. And uh, it'll be interesting to see that where the acres fall and everything. But I think by and large, Doug, as we've talked here on the podcast, that, uh, wow, we're, we're using over a billion pounds of soybean oil per month in the production of biomass-based diesel fuel. And, uh, you know, back in 2005, we were only at about one and a half billion pounds per year. <laughs> so look at the demand, look at the exciting opportunities are, that are out there for U.S. Uh, farmers and uh, we'll continue to feed and f- fuel the world. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, there's a huge build out of new processing capacity across the United States. I think, think it's increasing the processing capacity by a third here in the United States. Can you tell us what it's like for a farmer to have an option to sell either to an international market or to a local crush facility? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Paul. That that option is so important for farmers because we have we have to have market options. If we're just tied to one market, then we're at the ebb and flow of whatever that market may, may uh, choose to give us. But uh, if I can choose between selling between a local oil seed facility or international markets, both of them are great. Okay. So I would rather uh, sell and make that demand uh, being domestic demand, knowing that uh, those beans will be crushed here. The value will be kept here. It'll provide uh, tens of thousands of jobs. The uh, value of the soybean oil doesn't go in a boat across the seas, never to be seen again. It uh, stays right here. And that economic impact, I believe, will support our opportunities in local communities. So it comes back right to our, our lo- local hometowns and businesses. And so, so uh, I would rather export um, 
and exports are, are great. Exports are vital, but I would rather export value added products such as pork chops and beef cuts. And uh, let's let's crush the beans here. We've seen that, as you said, Paul, going to increase our domestic crush by a third over the next couple of years. Where uh, sends a signal. Uh, two soybean crushing plants uh, springing up here in Nebraska. One's going to be ready this year. One's going to be ready in 2025. That those two crush crushing plants alone are going to take uh, one fourth of Nebraska's soybeans. So that means that uh, that those soybeans will stay here at home. We'll continue to use the meal to feed our domestic livestock as well as fuel the record exports of soybean meal, which has happened this last year. And we'll keep that value here at home and we'll use that oil for biodiesel and renewable diesel. That's exciting. That's something that I've dreamt about for probably over 20 years and it's happening. This is a once in a generational type of uh, dynamic that uh, we really need to be educated on. And uh, hey, come out for our educational session. Uh, we're going to be there early. We'll stay late. We'll answer any questions and uh, be glad to meet each and every one that uh, can uh, can come. Yeah. And I, I hope that there's that type of promise for these new cover crops down the road and uh, that we can work with farmers to achieve the same kinds of results, give them market opportunities and market options. Absolutely. And I hope everybody at Commodity Classic comes to our session and hears all of this. So I, I've just very much enjoyed our time today. want to thank our governing board member from Nebraska, Greg Anderson, for joining us. And Paul, giving us your time from D.C. Again, Paul's our director of public affairs and federal communications. Always reach out to Paul or myself anytime you have questions about these topics or others. And so just thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Hey, thanks, Doug. Thanks, Paul. And thank you for listening. And be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And join us next week for another episode of the Better Cleaner Now podcast. Thanks for listening. Better Cleaner Now is a production of Clean Fuels Alliance America. Follow us at cleanfuels.org and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on Clean Fuels Alliance America, visit us at cleanfuels.org.